0: I am thrilled with today's guest, Caddy Kay. Uh, She is a cohort of mine, part of the Morning Joe family. Uh, She's one of the smart ones. I'm one of the silly ones. Uh, Former BBC anchor, current uh, special correspondent for BBC Studios, Author, this is her fifth book that's coming out. Am I correct? Fifth book on on yeah, women and em- empowerment and assurance and all and confidence, all the things we're talking about. The book is the Power Code: More Joy, Less Ego, Maximum Impact for Women and Everyone. Co-authored with Claire Shipman. Thanks for taking the time, kid. Thank you.
1: Thank you. This is going to be, I'm, you know, I'm slightly, I'm slightly trepidatious because I've heard such great things about being on this podcast that I'm hoping that, you know, we have a full therapy session and I come out wiser, smarter, and happier.
0: Well, Willie has, has very graciously, um, said on the air several times that he's been on the show. I've been on my podcast and I'm the most well-prepared interviewer he's ever had. Uh, I don't know if I can live up to that, but we'll start with that. So, you know, I did a little history. You went to five schools growing up. Wow.
1: I went to five schools in the space of six years. six years. I went to more than five schools. So between the ages of 10 and 16, I went to five different schools in three different countries in two different languages.
0: So how much did that did that shape? Because you, you've been on a mission to, first, you, you're the, the big area you've been working with for most of your books is confidence. And now you're taking on power. How much of that kind of was, was seeded with you as a young person having to kind of always show a new level of confidence or a new level of acceptability or a new level of power? I I mean, do you think the seeds were born there?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, certainly it's kind of amazing that I can read and write, right? Given how (laughs) choppy my education was, but I think it does do something. It does. When you get through any kind of adversity like that, and it wasn't easy, you know, there were times where I'd be yanked out of a school. I was yanked out of school halfway through the school year in Saudi Arabia and put into another school in Morocco in French, which I had never taken a class of in my life and didn't understand a word. And when you go through experiences like that, and you sort of have a meltdown along the way, which everybody does, because we're fallible, you come out of it, I guess, at some level with a residual knowledge that you've done it once, and therefore you can do it again. And perhaps more importantly, you've done that one hard thing once. And so actually, you could probably do that other hard thing as well. Uh, And it and I think it definitely did. It certainly affected my adaptability. I mean, you know, there's no way you go through that without being cert- a little bit adaptable to different circumstances. I mean, it's interesting because all of these schools were in the Middle East. I mean, I grew up for 15 years Beirut, Saudi Arabia, Morocco, Algeria, Bahrain, Dubai. I was, you know, pillar to post all over the Middle East. And spoke a reasonable amount of Arabic, and my mother worked the whole time we were there. And perhaps it's her that's had more impact on yeah, me. You've said that, yeah. Certainly, working with women, I think you know, just looking at what she did in an area of the world where women just didn't work. I mean, they, they didn't, and she did, and she pulled it off. And I guess that made me think, wow, there's there's
0: things women can do. I want to dive right into it. You, you're, the area you you have really fostered over the last number years is such a so close to my heart in that. Um, I ran a company for many, many years. Most of my senior uh, partners were women. I always believe, I have a chapter in one of my books called The Female Superiority Doctrine. Uh, I Give me a man and a woman of the same exact talent. Not that you can ever do this. I'll take the woman every time. And some of my reasons are kind of the areas that that you touch on in your in your books. I want to go to the the confidence place first because that was kind of such a foundation of so, and it's so many fascinating things to contrast men and women. I have a title of one of my books called "Often Wrong, Never in Doubt," and which is the ultimate title about confidence, even though I'm wrong most of the time. And so much of your studying showed that there's such a gap between men and women in confidence. And particularly, I was really fascinated where it kind of – the puberty years is really where it starts to bubble and women show their lack of confidence compared to men.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the woman's version of your book, Donnie, would be often in doubt, never wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, that, and it's true. We, we have dozens of studies showing that there is indeed a confidence gap between men and women. Give men and women a scientific reasoning quiz. Time and again, the woman will say she's going to perform less well than she does – the man will say he's going to perform better than he does. They actually perform about the same. Yeah. And and this these studies are replicated everywhere. And you're right on the girls. After we'd written our book on confidence for women, the confidence code, we realized when we were doing that research that actually this has its genesis in girls, middle school girls, somewhere in puberty. And we've done our research on this. Somewhere between the ages of nine and 13, a girl loses a third of her confidence and she never gets it back.
0: What, what, why is it? Why is that? Why at that age?
1: It's partly nature and it's partly nurture. That's the, uh, the time in life when girls get flooded with estrogen, which has many amazing qualities, uh, but it doesn't encourage risk-taking in the way that testosterone does. The, the research has been done on that. So part of it is scientific, but it's also then what happens is that girls quickly become perfectionist mm-hmm. and people-pleasers. One of the things that we found in our research is that the reason that girls lose their confidence is they suddenly become terrified of failing. And you thing about often in doubt – Never wrong or never in doubt. Often wrong. That gets to a notion of failure, which is incredibly hard for teenage girls. And when you don't want to fail, you don't take risks because God forbid that you get it wrong. Uh, you you start trying to please people all the time, which is something we also see in teenage girls. And when you're trying to please people and you won't take risks, I mean that's a confidence killer. You just you can't grow your confidence unless you're prepared to get out of your comfort zone, do hard things. And sometimes piss people off and not please people all the time. That's that's just part of the job of growing your confidence. And, and so that's what we've really our books for teenage girls were aimed at getting girls comfortable with screwing up.
0: I so saw it, and and you you you. There's a lot of overlap between Mika's Know Your Value. I'm going to read her blurb for your book in terms of it, where in terms of your areas. And I one of the reasons I surrounded myself by women. I found with men, I spent so much time fighting with them about how big their office is, how big their this is, how big their paycheck is, demanding if you don't do this, I'm, I'm going to leave, where women were happy to be collaborative, happy to help the greater cause, they would apologetically ask for a raise. And I realized, what am I surrounding myself with all these asshole men for that have spring so much more emotional baggage that the women didn't have? And that was one of the keys to my success. And I've given many speeches about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've really hit on what we're talking about in The Power Code, which is kind of redefining and reunderstanding power as a tool that gets things done, that you use to affect. I mean, the subtitle of our book is not coincidental, More Joy, Less Ego. I mean, the less ego part we all understand, yes. right? That wh- The power, as we have always understood it, is hierarchical, it's domineering, it's kind of zero-sum.
0: Yes, that's the best way. That's the way men, it's a fucking zero. I spent so much time, whose dick is bigger, my dick or your dick? dick, And and it just like, women, not even talking about anatomically, I'm using that as a metaphor, uh, so different, like apples and oranges.
1: Yeah, and I think women, so we did, we went- back to kind of researchers and all the people, the academics who are looking at power. And we basically came to this idea that men see power essentially as power over. Power over people, power over resources, power over office space. Women see power as the as the ability to affect change. It's power to do something. And the key for women is the end result. So we spoke to amazing women leaders around the world, you know, a woman who's in the parliament in Senegal who's sees power as a tool to get electric light bulbs into maternity clinics so midwives can give birth to help women give birth with a little bit of light. And it's that idea that power can be used to affect change in a positive way. And that it's not, you know, you have more, therefore I have less. It, it, that's sort of just so unappealing to women. And the research we have that shows women don't really want power, it's that they don't want power as it currently is. But when you offer them a type of power that is there to change the world for the better or their organization for the better, then suddenly it looks more appealing.
0: I want to read that blurb I was talking about. Um, Caddy and Claire have done it again. This time they take on power, deconstructing it and revealing why so many women are turned off by it, even as the world needs more female leadership. They make the case that power needs a rebrand, one better suited to the new workplace and that leverages women's strengths. This book is for every woman who wants to feel the joy. Feel the joy of more authentic agency. So if you were going to put into practice, let, let, let's do a little exercise here. A, a woman's coming out of college, okay? And she's about to go into the workforce. And of course, power is this abstract thing. And I want to mm-hmm. now put it into the workplace. What advice would you give her as far as understanding power, nurturing power, using power to empower her, and that's something that is translatable into her her everyday life.
1: Yeah. So we, I mean, we really wanted to kind of, we do want to change society, but we also want this book to be very applicable to individual women. And you're describing the ideal candidate for us. Part of it, the first thing to do is notice. Um, Notice that power is not one size fits all. It isn't always wielded in this way that is I've got a bigger dick than you have, and therefore I should have the corner office. There are people who are using power for different reasons. And I think it sounds kind of trite, Notice, but actually neuroscientists tell us that just the fact that you notice something is already very empowering. Um, another thing is to understand that there are things that you do that are very powerful. And I think part of what we talk about in this book is that women actually have all of the tools for power already. We are incredibly effective. We are better educated than men. We get more degrees, more postgraduate degrees, more PhDs than men do. We juggle a million things in our lives and we put value on other things in our lives. So women have what are called more life goals, our relationships with our friends, with our kids, with our families, with our communities. Those are all very important. And we would argue that actually that's a form of power, that we do so many things already and there is power in the things that we do. The world would be better off if everybody took more time to take care of their communities and their families and their children. So don't denigrate the stuff you're already doing. Don't do that down. You have value. If you have high EQ in a world that needs good communication, that's actually very powerful. So take a list of your strengths and some of the things that you might kind of initially be tempted to dismiss as not particularly helpful because they don't fit a kind of traditional view of leadership. Actually, very often those are very powerful tools to have. And then there are, you know, there are basic things you can do. Uh, there's, you can pr- what's called prime yourself for power. This was a great tip we learned from a neuroscientist. If you rem- take 15 minutes before a job interview or a pay raise discussion or a promotion request to remind yourself of a time when you felt powerful, literally, kind of how it felt that felt like, and then you write it down, pen and paper, old school, for five minutes. That can have for about a day or two an amazing impact on your ability to negotiate. Interesting. And it actually, the studies are there. People who prime themselves for power have better outcomes in negotiating. So there are, there are tips that are short term and long term, but the main thing is to think, to look around the world and think, power doesn't need to be that way that it's always been. It doesn't need to be zero sum. The fact that I have a promotion at work doesn't mean that, you know, somebody else can't have success as well. The, su- the fact that somebody else, you know, has a success at work, great. It's not, it's not lose-lose, it's win-win.
0: How much is, uh, I had a, always a you know, motivational statement I, that was very powerful to me. It was just, every uber successful person I've ever met, Fortune 50 CEO, head of state, whatever, beyond the requisite skill set of, you know, bright and driven and all those things. They also had this sense of entitlement of why not me? Uh, how important is entitlement in power? Because I have found that that is a prescription. I was able to kind of get that to myself. You know, why shouldn't I be the next mayor of New York? Why shouldn't I? And until you say that, those great things can't happen. Talk to me about the the entitlement stew as it relates to the power stew.
1: I think some of that gets to confidence as well, right? I do think, and this is came from our research, that women inherently have... What sociologists call imposter syndrome, but I call the You you said
0: you've had that also.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's that sense that you're there by the grace in favor of your employer, that God forbid you rock the boat and ask for a pay raise or a promotion because, wow, you're so lucky to be there. Or, you know, my sense of being in America that the only reason I've been successful in America is because I speak the way I do. I mean, it must be that British accent, right? That's obvious <laughs> that it wouldn't be something as preposterous as the idea that I'm Talent. talented yes. or I work hard or I'm good at what I do. And I think if you can realize that you're not there by the grace and favor of your employer and, and literally write down a checklist of all the things you have succeeded at in life, all those straight A's you got in college and you got in high school, and realize that actually you have just as much right to be there as anybody else. And probably probably a bit more because in very often cases, women are better educated, um, that you have all the competence it takes. And then you have to start thinking, okay, so what happens if I ask for that pay raise? What's the very worst thing that can go wrong? The very worst thing that can go wrong is they don't give it to me.
0: And I'm in the same place. I, I, I always talk to people, just when in doubt, do. You know, so many people are so afraid of failure that the real failure yeah. is not going for it. And that's in any instance. You gave an example of, of, of a pay raise in anything. I, I do this exercise where I, I, when I'm giving speeches on stage, I go up to a, I, I ask for a single woman from the audience. And I said, come up, I'm gonna, we're going to do a little role play. I'm going to come up to you and ask you if, if you'd love to have a cup, cup of coffee with me and you're going to reject me. And then we go through this and she rejects me. And I'm no worse that I've not done it. I mean, that's the, you know, I failed, yes, but who cares?
1: I mean, it's a design flaw in the human species that we fail. Yeah. Right. And once you accept that, once you accept that you will fail, your best friend will fail, your partner will fail, your boyfriend or girlfriend will fail, your teacher will fail, your boss will fail, we're all going to fail. So now deal with that. And I think that really helps. And then the other thing is just don't catastrophize. Stop catastrophizing the downside of the risk you're about to take. Because once you catastrophize, you won't take that risk. And if you don't take that risk, I read the news to millions of people around the world every night. It doesn't test my confidence to do that. I know I'm good at it. I've done it a gazillion times. You know, doing your job, Donny, would terrify me. The only way I'd ever find out if I was going to be good at it would be to try.
0: I was reading an an interesting interview or an article about you as an empty nester. Now you have four children and you're alone and you're not dealing with right now. I'm going to hold it up. I'm holding up my smartphone, which have such an impact for young women, young people, but particularly young women, every study in every which way and help a parent navigate as we're trying to build a young woman's confidence. And we're trying to set her up for a new paradigm of power, how to navigate this, this minefield of, of, shit that's out there on social media.
1: Yeah, it's a fucking nightmare, right? Yeah. I mean, there's it really is. And that study that came out just a couple of weeks ago showing that there is a direct correlation between when social media hit the world- and depression
0: in young women, and suicide at attempts, of, you know, yeah. The
1: rise in depression for yeah. girls is just, I mean, we've created a monster and now we have to find a way to control that monster. The good news is my daughter Poppy, who's 17- has basically shut herself off from sofa, social media. Wow. What, she uses she- it to text her friends. And I wonder whether 17-year-olds, those digital natives who grew up with apps and social media, after four years now of navigating this, they're realizing they don't want it anymore. Yeah. So she texts her friends. She uses, I think it's, I don't know which one it is. Maybe it's just she's gone back to texting and WhatsApping. She WhatsApps her friends, but all the images, all gone. She, does, she just doesn't look at it anymore. And I, want, I hope that... Um, I, I cannot believe that we as a species won't get better at this because at the moment it's untenable for, we have a whole chapter on social media in our girls' book, Confidence Code for Girls, and it's all about how you can regulate this, how you can work with your daughters to regulate this, how you can just spend, you know, you, 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 because girls, what happens is that they go to school and there's some problem with a friend and then it all comes home with them. We used to come home and the problem stayed in school. Now
0: the problem yeah, follows. It's 24-7. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's you had 24/7. a shitty school environment, you had a safe haven at home. You had, it's yeah. 24-7, what you're not doing, what you don't look like, who you are. And you're by not- the way,
1: that perfection thing that girls are more, that we spoke about, that girls are more prone to, of course, it's exacerbated by social media because social media is all about, you know, that perfect avatar of yourself. Yes. You have to have a perfect you out there with perfect photographs and perfect lights and a perfect Snapchat streak or whatever it is that Poppy used to be very focused on. And it's just interesting that she's sort of now decided it's not good for her. And I think if, you, if we can help girls as well feel they have some control of this, there's this movement in the UK of high school girls who are, who are taking control of social media. And I think that empowers girls to feel, OK, I'm going to put it down for half an hour. I'm going to leave my phone at home while I go for a walk with my dog. Even small bites of it, I, I think helps.
0: I have to tell you, as an older man, I, two weeks ago, I went last week, no, not two weeks ago, I went on a retreat where they were, you didn't have your phone for a week, nothing. Oh, what a joy. What an I was euphoric. for. And, and by the way, I'm formed. So I'm not a developing 13 year old young girl who's just finding her sense of self. So I'm kind of entrenched. I'm 65 years old. And boy, It was euphoria to not have this fucking thing in any way, shape, or form.
1: We're going to start paying more money to go to places that are disconnected. Isn't that bonkers? I mean, people will start paying money to go on holiday in order, because how do you read poetry or come up with a good business idea or write a symphony or, or any of those things that human beings have done through the centuries that are the arts and creativity and that take some kind of, how do you read a book? How do you read? I've been trying to read kind of classics. I can't read them because I'm, you know, I'll be picking up my phone or checking my emails or what the, you know, the the addictive nature of just checking whether somebody sent me a message gets in the way of every kind of creative juice I have. I think.
0: I want to go back to power for a second. I'm going to ask you a nutty question and Mm. somebody that you and I, Find repulsive uh, in every sense of the word as a human. Donald Trump. What can girls learn from Donald Trump about power?
1: I think they learn the ultimate hierarchy of power. That Donald Trump is all about power over and not power to. So why does Donald Trump want more power? Why did he want to become president? It was a, it was a logical extension of the business world that he had lived in, which was about business deals, about expanding his brand. I mean, he spoke about that, right? That this was going to be very good for his brand. Um, He held a press conference while he was running for president with half the stuff he sells behind him. It was a brand extension. It was about gaining more power over the media, over the market. I don't think you often hear Donald Trump talk in terms of what he wants to do with that power as a social good. I mean, I think that's Look, Donald Trump is a very good example of somebody who has a very hierarchical, more for you is less for me, mm-hmm. approach to yeah. power. I think that that win-lose, zero-sum attitude to power that Donald Trump exhibits often, I think, when he's talking uh, about politics or about business, I think that's a very old way of looking
0: at power. I'll never forget. I, I, my. 50th birthday, I had a birthday video and people were going on it. And this time I was friendly with Donald Trump and he gets on happy birthday, Donnie. You're a great guy. Uh, even though you had better hair than me, I'm taller than you. Like he still had to make that a zero sum game kind of situation where, where he's better than me. It was uh, such a silly little thing, but it really stuck with me.
1: Yeah. And I think that's what we can, I think we can look at that and think it doesn't need to be that way. And that there are ways that power can be more effective and more, and have more impact for other people. Um, and I, yeah, I think that I think that's what the main thing I would take away from Trump as a lesson in power.
0: Let's talk about women in power in and politics. And, and Hillary Clinton is a perfect example of how both men and women have a trouble ingesting power from a woman. And there's been so much written and talked about what a woman has to do. So politically, where are the lessons in this book for somebody who wants political power as a woman?
1: Look, I think that, you know, that is like, you're right. All of the documentation is there that there are hurdles for women to get into power. There is also evidence that when women run for power, they actually have as much success as men. So part of it is just making the decision to run. One of the number one reasons that women don't run for political office is they're afraid of public speaking. I mean, literally, you know, any kind of public speaking event gives us terrifies women much more than it does men. So, one tip for women would be take as much opportunity as you can to speak at your friend's birthday party, speak at an office event, say a farewell toast at something, as well, of course, as speaking out publicly. Once you master that, you get over a fear factor that I think is very helpful for women. But and do know the data do know that when women run for political office they do win i mean hillary clinton didn't mm-hmm. but across the country whether they are republicans or democrats yeah. women have as much success as men when they actually throw their hat in the ring
0: let's shift to current events a little bit we're we're in a crazy time donald trump is still has his hold on the republican party looks like he's gonna be our candidate handicap what's going to happen over the next year or two uh as it looks like we'll end up with biden trump uh i've the conventional wisdom is Trump can't win because he can't get the independents and he can't get the suburbanites. Yet I watched that CNN thing last week and I got frightened again. I I, I mean, let us I could go on for an hour about CNN and how they stacked the audience, which is insane. It's one thing to give them the airtime, but don't set them up with a fucking cheering section. But handicap how you see this thing playing out over the next 18 months.
1: You're right that the White House is pretty confident that if it's them against Trump, they've run this playbook before and... They won in 2020, therefore they can win again, and that they they think that Trump's um, market has actually shrunk. But I've just recently I've started hearing one concern from people in the Biden administration, which is that what happens if Tim Scott becomes Trump's VP nominee, sure. and how much would that change the equation? Uh, would it sort of neutralize Kamala Harris's? Appeal amongst African Americans? Could he peel away specifically African American men because Democrats have been struggling with African American men? If you look at the demographics that that Biden has been that lost in twenty twenty and that Trump picked up in twenty sixteen, there were it's African American men and Hispanic men. And what would having Tim Scott on the ticket do to that group of people? I remember this is insanely close. I think you have to think that. Whoever is the Republican nominee and whoever is the Democratic nominee, you've got to give them a forty-five percent chance of winning. Yeah, right. I mean, I just think you have to.
0: This is the first time I'm hearing the Tim Scott thing, which is frightening, because you bring up an amazing point. And I, I don't know where you're hearing it, but I had I've heard it's DeSantis as DeSantis is vice president and a woman, uh, Nikki Haley. But Tim Scott, for all the reasons you talked about, that that would Ooh. be formidable. That really would.
1: The happy wa- the sort of happy warrior Tim Scott against which is why I think Tim Scott doesn't really need to take on Trump no. in the way that DeSantis probably does. And I I I'm starting to hear wobbles from the White House a bit about that. I mean, God, I talked to my European friends and uh, leaders and they are waking up to the realization a bit belatedly, that it looks like Donald Trump could be the nominee and then waking up to the realisation of what i you know, they're calling a looming catastrophe of Donald Trump being president of the United States again. And whilst the the White House might be confident, eleven thousand votes in Arizona. It was, it was nothing. Yeah.
0: I mean, it was four, it was six sixty thousand votes. If you put all three or four yeah. states together, nothing. And, and the people go, well, since then there's been the insurrection. And since then now he's going to be indicted probably three or four times by the t- or at least three, three times. And,
1: and maybe this will be a blowout for Democrats because of the abortion issue. And because suburban women and actually suburban dads too, in, in Atlanta and Philadelphia and Milwaukee and f- Phoenix will turn around and say, no, this this party has just become too extreme and is out of step as all of the polls are showing us are out, is out of step with where the American public is. But Joe Biden only needs to fall on stage.
0: Yeah. Or the economy needs to go in the shitter. The,
1: uh, well, That's the other thing know. that the White House is freaked out about is the prospect that you have a real recession and all of the polling, the Republicans do better on the economy. Yeah. So let's say there are, I think, they, I think anyone who is thinking, wow, great. Donald Trump's the nominee; therefore, that's good for us. I would counsel it a little bit of hubris.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it just hit me watching the CNN thing because I had all along was this: okay, can't win, and this and that, and that. and I, I, I saw a poll yesterday, which is wasting time. The popular vote, Joe Biden, is up by seven million. Who fucking cares? I mean, why do we even have that poll anymore?
1: Yeah and why do i th- i mean to some extent any national polls at the moment as we both know you, you ignore yeah, right yeah. and it's and anyway didn't after 2016 didn't we all say we were going to come off the polling addiction and yeah. um we we fell for it and, yeah every single time every single poll we get apoplectic about whether it's the Republicans are up or the Democrats are up. Every poll swings us, and I think you just have to keep focusing on the. It's fu- not as them. much
0: of a game show without it. Uh, I mean, that's the. Those are the no. stats. That's the. Those are the batting averages and the runs batted in and the goals scored, and we have no other way of watching the sport without it.
1: Yeah, except that we could just keep an eye on what people smart reporters around the country if I was running a big news organization I would go and have I would just make sure I put really good correspondents in Wisconsin Georgia and and probably you know Phoenix and Arizona for the next year and I would listen to them
0: yeah yeah um, how do you feel about if you were going to grade right now MSNBC, CNN and Fox on how they're doing? How would you grade them?
1: I think the challenge for all news organizations is going to be how to cover Trump. So I was kind of dismayed. The CNN town hall thing is one. And I take a point about the audience and they should have been far more transparent. They should have introduced the audience. They should have made sure that the viewers absolutely knew, especially in this world of misinformation, which totally terrifies me um, about the the crap that people hear. So but the the thing actually that alarmed me a little bit more was when do you remember when Trump came up to New York and was arrested, yes. and every single network, including the BBC,
0: carried on the, the images of, of the yeah. car. I mean, it was the OJ chase. Yeah,
1: we the car in the OJ chase. He not even the chase. He was sitting on the tarmac at LaGuardia for half an hour, and we were watching baggage handlers.
0: Yeah,
1: how how is that newsworthy? There's a plane on the tarmac, not doing anything. And what's happening inside that plane, Donald Trump is watching us watch him and absolutely loving it. And I—that that is free air and in, in Trump world, I know because I speak to people in Trump world, they call that total domination.
0: But if you're running a news organization, okay, I'm Chris Lichter, uh, I'm Rashida, I'm running a news organization, and we are on the threshold. It's not happening yet. It's happening in a matter of hours of in a historic day the first time a a, New York, a us president is going to be indicted arrested for something how does that not trump no pun intended talking about um, the debt crisis where from a viewer's point of view yes it's it's the it's the pregame show so if i'm I, if i am justifying why i'm doing it that's my justification
1: I think you have to think as this, this. So there it, we, in 2016, the press probably gave Trump far more airtime. And yeah, it was extraordinary because he was a businessman with no political record. And in a way, he was exceptional and unusual. And that in and of itself was newsworthy. I just find it hard to justify a plane sitting on the track at LaGuardia as newsworthy. And I think you could, even, even if you just didn't show the images of it, even if you were talking to lawyers or um, smart people yeah, yeah. about what it meant to have a president uh, in, indicted for the first time in American history, a former president indicted for the first time in American history. Did you have to show the plane though? Did you have to show that? Because he uses that as free airtime for himself and free publicity for himself. I don't know. I I can see why everybody did it. And everybody does it, by the way, because everybody else is, is doing, doing
0: it. it yeah. that, so that, nobody it.
1: wants to be left behind. Yeah. But I think there's a valid question about that call. I think there. Were, I've always felt a little uncomfortable about that call.
0: I hear you. I'm with you. Just swinging back to the book. I have a 19-year-old daughter and a 16-year-old daughter. So what would be the five? You're so lucky. I know. I, I love them. I'm, I'm I've a great girl dad. I love having girls. Uh, so what are the five takeaways from the book that I, I would share with them? If you said to me Donnie, they're not going to read the book. They're 16. They're on social media. They're looking at TikTok. But take away these five nuggets to share with them. What would those be?
1: So, first up, you're better than you might think you are. Whether it's at maths or engineering or sciences or sports or public speaking, um, be aware of the fact that you may be underplaying your capabilities. Because there's a tendency for people to do so. In fact, write down all the things that you are good at. Yeah. And when you have moments of doubt, pull out that list. Okay. And it's there in black That's and white. Right. It's I just super, super, super helpful. Um, you don't have to please everybody, and you won't ever please everybody. So give up trying. And some people will be pissed off with you, and some people will be annoyed with you, mm-hmm. and some people will say you're demanding. And that is that comes with the territory. So, so give that one up. Don't try and be perfect. It's a sta- it's an impossible standard yes, to meet. Yes. I mean, you you have, robots maybe perfect. Sometimes people are not. It's just what we do. We fail. And I think that gets to the second one, the th- fourth one. You you're going to fail.
0: Yeah, I Sometimes always just, be just value as your friend. You have to embrace it. You're yeah.
1: going to you're going to screw up and put it in the, and be when you do. Think to yourself, what would you say to your best friend when she screws up? And what you say to your best friend when she say screws yourself, up yeah. is what you should say to yourself. Yeah, yeah. Treat yourself as your best friend. Um, and I think that's really helpful. And then when you look around at women who use power and, people who you, and, and men who use power well, and think to yourself, do I want to be that person who is using power for effect, for impact, or do I want to be the person who is doing it in order just to get a bigger slice of the corner office?
0: I love it. I love it. All right. Before we go, how did I do? Did I disappoint? Good. Okay. Very good. Uh,
1: you are. You are, You read. You read and listen to your stuff. I love that.
0: It's not. Co- it's not complicated. And what I found is just just listen. Also, I mean, the yeah. key to interviewing is not what you say; it's what you hear and and really responding to it and take it in. And and you yeah. know, uh, I was surprised because I, I know a lot of producers in this business. How many? well-known anchors are basically, their producers give them three questions for a segment, up front, and they're literally reading the fucking questions. I, I mean, not the people we work with in the morning, but uh, some other people that would surprise and it surprised me. All right, the book, I'm going to do a little promo for the book. The book is Power Code, More Joy, Less Ego. I love the second part of that. Maximum impact for women and everyone. The target audience is everyone, and the target audience is women, and if any woman of any age, but particularly I'm going to say women between the ages of 16 and 40. I'm even going to say women who still have a huge runway in front of them. But at any age, this is a must read. I'm predicting a New York Times bestseller. It drops June 13th. And I appreciate the time, my friend.
1: Thank you, Tony. That was fun. I'll come back.
0: All right. You stay well.